The law of increase, part two, the fear of the Lord. Now, as a text, Psalms 115, verse 13 to 15, it says, he will bless, that means empower to prosper. Those who fear the Lord, both small and great, may the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will bless who? Those who fear the Lord. And may the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says, talking about the early church, as they were edified, and they, were, and they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied, increased. Amen? So we're talking about this law of increase and the fear of the Lord. In, in that there is this law of increase where God says, I will, I will bless them. I will empower them to prosper. I will increase them more and more. Them who? Them that fear the Lord. Amen? All right. So let's go. Now, the objective of this particular teaching today is, is, is fourfold, so to speak. The one aspect, one objective is simply this. That you might grasp and get an understanding of the fear of the Lord. And then secondly, that you will also come to the, to the, to the, to the, to the understanding and to the revelation that the law of increase is for you to function in the fear of the Lord. And of course, we want to know what does that look like. Well, in, it, it's in every area. You see... This is the way some of the laws of God work. The law of increase, that is the fear of the Lord, will cause your health to spring forth speedily. It will cause financial increase. It will cause strength and power in the realm of your relationships so that the strife and the conflict, can, you can be delivered from them. It will cause increase in every single area. So what does it look like? It looks like increase, increase. And it is, not, it is not rocket science for us to grasp and to figure out what does increase look like. But what it is important is as we understand the fear of the Lord, for you to see that that fear of the Lord is the very law of increase. And... Also, too, once you get a hold of that, for you to be able to decide and make a quality, informed, spiritually intelligent decision and say, I choose the fear of the Lord. That's what I want. You see, it's your choice. The scripture says, I set before you life and death. You don't have to, but you should choose life. He says, I've set before you blessing and cursing. You don't have to, but choose blessing. And so he, so he says, I said before you, the fear of the Lord and the lack of the fear of the Lord. Choose the fear of the Lord. Are you with me? So you must come to the place where you make that choice and you make that choice from a place of understanding. Not because you are emotionally provoked, but rather because you can see and your eyes have been opened and you recognize, yes, Lord, the fear of the Lord is the law of increase and the fear of the Lord is the least of my response to the reality of who you are, your majesty, your excellence. Blessed be the name of the Lord, all right? Glory to God. All right, so let's, 
let's, let's um, go after having an understanding of the fear of the Lord, which I believe is the noblest response that you can have to the reality of who God is. I believe it is the noblest response. It is the highest response you can have. You say, well, I thought love is the highest response to love God. Well, it includes the love of God. You say, well, I thought it's faith. Well, it includes the faith. The fear of the Lord, like as, like as um, was, was it Solomon that said. Solomon says, I will show you a man. What is, well, that's another one, but that's a good word too. <laughs> but Solomon says, this is the whole purpose of man, that you might fear God and obey his commandments. In other words, that you might fear God and walk in agreement with him. Which is exactly what Acts chapter 9 verse 31 says. That they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost and they were multiplied, increased. Which is the very purpose of God that is in, that is in the very, from the time God created man and he gave them, a, and, and, and he created them in his own image and his own likeness, giving them his nature and that they would be conformed to him and have his character. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. The word multiply is the exact same Hebrew word as increase. And it is the exact same Hebrew word when, I mean, Greek word when you get into the new covenant. So increase is the will of God. But now, the fear of the Lord is your right response to who God is, and it is the noblest response. The fear of the Lord is to stand, and I pray you capture this, not just intellectually, but you capture this with your spirit. The fear of the Lord is to stand in awe of God. It's to stand in awe of God. Who he is, his majesty, his excellence. What would it be like if you were to stand, if you were to be able to stand before the brilliance of the sun? Face to face, so to speak. Moses saw God face to face. He met God face to face, did it not? Suppose you were to stand before the sun in all of its brilliance and you could somehow be preserved so you don't melt and dissolve. How awesome would that be? How would it be if you were to stand? I don't, I don't know, you know, we talk about the seven wonders of the world. I haven't seen much of them except for the Niagara Falls. But what would it be like standing on the edge of the, of, um, the Grand Canyon? How awesome would that be? Standing out there in space and looking back on the earth and seeing all these planets and seeing, and seeing the stars and, and all of that and seeing the expanse of the oceans. These things would be absolutely, they, they, they would be so mind-boggling. It would, be, it, would be, it would stretch you. Now here is God. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is majestic. He is greater and more brilliant than the sun. He is bigger than the oceans. He is deeper. You know that tragedy that took place regarding that submarine that went all these miles down and, and blew up? Well, he is deeper than the ocean. He is bigger than big can be. They are, he is big. You know, I was looking through the, just love was looking through the Bible to see if I can capture some words or some descriptions that would capture who God is and his majesty. I could not find anything. 
You've got to stretch your imagination. And as far as you can stretch your imagination, he is greater. He is bigger. He is more powerful than anything we can ever conceive of. This is God. Now, can you imagine if he is here and he is standing before you in his glory and in his majesty and he comes before you, what would be your response? What would happen in your thinking? You will stand in awe of him. Would you not? Well, that is the fear of the Lord. It's to stand in awe of him. And at the revelation of his majesty and his excellence, then you not only will you stand in awe of him, but it will provoke you in certain ways. It would make you desire to be like him. It would cause you to trust him because you will see his love. You will see his power. You will see his faithfulness. And all of these responses, it will cause you to decide, you know what? I don't want to live a filthy, unclean, contaminated life. It will provoke within you the fear of the Lord. All of these things will happen. Are you with me? So what am I saying? I'm saying the fear of the Lord is to stand in the awe of God. The awe of who he is. His majesty. His omnipresence. His omniscience. It's his omnipotence. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. He is beyond what you can think. He is bigger than big. <laughs> he is deeper than deep. He is wider than wide. He is more powerful than power. He is the Lord God Almighty. Excellent in majesty. The scripture says in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, the power and the glory, it says, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, Father Forever and forever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Isaiah chapter 40. Let me just read a few verses of scripture. And I'm reading it desiring that God will enlarge it in our hearts. But I'm also reading it that this is the Bible. But yet with words, English words, we cannot capture the majesty of God. We couldn't even find it here. You know, I mean, you know, what's, you know, I mean, John saw Jesus in the island of Patmos and his, 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 his face was glistening, his feet was as brass. But even those things do, 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 can't, could, could barely reflect his majesty and his excellence. And the, the, the scripture teaches that if we can get a revelation of his majesty and his excellence, and if we can see him, no man shall see God and live because there will be a death that will take place on the inside of him. He will no longer be wise in his own eyes. He will come into a place once he can get that, 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 that revelation of God, he would cease to be who he was. Are you with me? And that fear of the Lord, the scripture says, will keep him from evil. It will provoke him in pathways of absolute sanctification and holiness. Perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Glory to God. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Reading from verse 9. O Zion, you who bring good tidings. Get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. 
Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock with a, like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. How could a God that is so mighty, so infinite in every direction, so full of glory and power, how could he be so, so, so gentle, so loving, so caring to take the lamb into his arms? This is the God that we serve. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. Who has measured and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead them who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Measured heaven with a span. God is bigger than it all. Measured the heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or has been his counselor and has taught him? With whom did he, did he take counsel? And who instructed him? Who taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? Praise the Lord. Sorry, I have a new Bible, so pay this then too. Sorry. All right, I'm working on it. Behold, the nations are a drop in a bucket, and they are counted as a small dust on the scale. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor is be sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him as less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. And the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. And he seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above, this, above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Let me, let me just jump, jump down, jump down to verse 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. He is bigger than any of his creation. He is bigger and greater than the moon or the stars or the galaxies. He is bigger than it all. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. Without him there was nothing. What does it say? Genesis 1 verse 1. It says without him there was nothing made that was made. In the beginning was God. And God created. Everything that God created was even in him. He's bigger than anything he made. Mm, anyway. So why do you say O Jacob. And speak O Israel. 
my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over my, my, by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the young, the young, the youths, they shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall because they're human. God is not a man. He doesn't get tired. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. How can you run and not be weary as a human being? They shall walk and not faint. How could that be? Because the everlasting God doesn't become weary. He is not a man. And there is something about waiting on the Lord and having that fear of God that brings you in a covenant relationship with him whereby his strength and his power is infused into you and you cease to operate as a mere man but you can have divinity living in your humanity. Glory to God. Which really is a more accurate comprehension of grace. Divinity working in and through you. Are you with me? Can you imagine not being weary, not being faith? That's not normal. But that's because it's God. Say God. Oh, hallelujah. I mean, I, I, for the sake of time, man, go, go read Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. Go find passages in the scripture. Go check out Moses when he go up to the mountain top. When God comes like a fire on top of the mountain and the children of Israel saw him. And, and they, go, go capture those things so that you can, you can get the image of God enlarged and begin to see his majesty. And even as much as we try, we can only get so far, but it's better than nothing. It's better than to walk around seeing him as a made man. It is better than all of that. But see his majesty. See his excellence. Let the spirit of the Lord strengthen you with might. Because as you do and as you see him, you will run with him. You will bow down before him. It will provoke worship. It will provoke trust. It will provoke a love of God. It will provoke a desire to be pure. It will provoke a desire to, to, to be like him. It will provoke within you. Something that will cause you to say, oh, when he shall appear, I shall be like him, for I shall see him as he is. And because this is my hope, I purify myself, even as he is pure. Where is this coming from? It's coming from the revelation of the majesty of God that provokes this fear of the Lord. This is not legalism. This is not letter. This is the truth of the word of God. Hallelujah. So the fear of the Lord is your right response of reverence and honor and awe of God. Even to the point that the scripture will say about, about, about serving God with trembling. It's not trembling in the sense of being afraid of God. But it's trembling in the sense of being in such awe. I mean here is God and you're trying to... You're trying to Embrace him. You're trying to, you're trying to, to, to capture him. Is the essence of his being and you in the weakness of, of, of this flesh. Man, man, you just like tremble. Are you with me? So this is what we're talking about. Hallelujah. The fear of the Lord will produce worship. In the light of who he is. In the light of who he is. In the light and the reality of that kingdom of God that is within us. The scripture says. Let us be thankful. Let us have grace. 
that we might serve him with reverence and with godly fear. Are you with me? The fear of the Lord will provoke a purity. Say purity. Isaiah chapter 6. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6. Reading from, reading from verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood a, the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When we book at Revelation chapter 4, we have a similar thing happening. I mean, here is God, and these angels have been with him for, for, for centuries, for, for eons. But yet, as God moves around within the, within the heavens, uh, and as they move, they're seeing dimensions of him that they never saw before. And all they could, the only response is to say, holy, holy. Well, like, it's like we say wow, but it's, like, it's beyond wow. It's like holy. And they've been there for so long, and yet there is a continuing unveiling of his person. Are you with me? So here is Isaiah having this experience and he, and he sees the seraphims and they're just crying, holy, holy, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Now Isaiah was a pretty clean, upright young man. But in the light of his glory and majesty and excellence and in this revelation of God, he says, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. When we get a revelation of who he is, the best of our righteousness will be as filthy rags. And therefore, we desire to be clothed with his righteousness. Because only then can we be able to stand before a holy, awesome God, not having spot or blemish, and being able to be there without any consciousness of sin, guilt, shame, insecurity, and inferiority. That is what the gift of righteousness does for you. Because he was made sin that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. To be able to stand in front of a holy God in all of his majesty, the God who is a consuming fire, and have no sense of guilt or shame or condemnation or sin, not being sin conscious. That is the power and the mystery of the gospel, of the sacrifice of Christ. That is why Jesus went to the cross, not just to get you a ticket to heaven, but to bring many sons to glory. Into the very essence of God and who he is and his being. Glory to God. So Isaiah said, woe is me, for I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hands a live coal, which he had taken from the tongues, from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it, and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. The blood of Jesus has done that for us. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Psalms 24. What are we talking about? We're talking that this fear of the Lord provokes a, des- it, 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 it provokes a desire for you to be pure, for you to be holy. Amen. No wonder Psalms, no wonder um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 is going to say, given that God has made a promise that he's gonna, he wants to be a God to you. He wants to be a father to you. He wants to be El Shaddai. He don't want to be, he wanted you to have the fullness of who he is and everything else. And he said, therefore this, having therefore this promise that I, that I could, for me to father you, let us cleanse ourselves from every filthiness of the flesh and perfect holiness by the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what causes that, that, that purification. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Where was I going? Oh, Psalms 24. Reading from verse 1. No, let's pick it up from verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? Now, I'm not talking about the presence of God that everyone has because you're born again. When you are born again, God, by the Holy Ghost, comes and lives on the inside of you. And if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. You are the temple of the living God. Once you are born again, you are born of his Spirit. God lives on the inside of you. So you do have that presence. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a place wherein you are clothed with him. I'm talking about a place of intimacy. I'm talking about a place of the manifestation of his presence. I'm talking about the glory of the Lord. I'm, that's what I'm talking about here. So it says, who is going to ascend into that place? And who will stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. I'm just trying to paint a picture. Holiness, purity, the fear of the Lord, and the revelation of his majesty and his glory will make you want to be pure even as he is poor. That's what First John 3 says. Now are we the sons of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. It makes you want to be like him. Come on. I mean I know kids look at superheroes. You know, Superman or whatever, whatever come those superheroes, whatever they are. And then they'll put on their cape and they run around the house. What are they saying? They're saying, I want to be like him. Well, we need to see Jesus with his cape. We need to see him for who he is. And it is just natural that we want to be like him. Amen? And because we want to be like him, guess what? We move over into a place of sanctification, holiness. Lord, I want to be separated unto you. So the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, blessed be the name of the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, glory, 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 say separation, sanctification, holiness, all right, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness, you are not righteousness, with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, you are light. And what accord had Christ with Belial? You are Christ. You belong to him. You have his nature. 
you have put on Christ. On what part as a believer with an unbeliever? You are a believer. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of God. For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. Not only separated from them, but be separated unto the Lord, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, brethren, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every filthiness of the flesh, perfecting holiness. That separation unto God, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Perfecting holiness by the application of the fear of the Lord. Perfecting that separation by developing, learning to function in this fear of the Lord. Responding to who he is in his majesty and his excellence. Amen? Hallelujah. Leviticus chapter 10 verse 3 says, Okay. That they that are in his, that, that they that they, they want, they that are before God in a sanctuary. God says, I will be sanctified in them. They must deal with me as holy. When we, even the, the acknowledging of the presence of the Lord, there's a holiness connected to that. Anyway, now remember when Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, who saw Joseph, and Joseph was handsome and young and, and all of that, and she wanted to sleep with him. Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Genesis 39.9. And when she tried to force him, what did he do? He ran. What was that? That was the fear of the Lord that he decided, I cannot contaminate myself. I cannot come and contaminate myself. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says that you are to, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice. It is the least of your worship to God. Present your body a living sacrifice. It's holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, which is your reasonable act of worship and declaring what God is worth to you by presenting your body a living sacrifice. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he says, look, I buffet my body. I, bu- I buffet my body and I bring it to a place where it is in subjection. So that I don't be, end up being a castaway. So that I might not be disqualified. So that I'm in line and in harmony with God. I'm not going to let this body dictate to me. Why? Why? Where is this coming from? Legalism? No. This is coming from being affected by the reality of his majesty, wanting to be like him, wanting to have that intimate relationship with him, and not satisfied with just his indwelling presence. But you want it to be clothed upon. You want the glory of the Lord to be risen upon you. Amen? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 to 22 says, Let everyone that names the name of Jesus... The name of Christ. Let him depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but there are also vessels of wood and clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. We're talking about the church. We're talking about the body of Christ. We're not talking about the world here. Therefore, if anyone will cleanse himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, set apart, and useful for the master. 
prepared for every good work. Flee therefore also lustful, um, youthful lust and, and pursue righteousness and faith and love. Which is to say, pursue the fear of the Lord. Because all those things are within the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 52 verse 11 says, Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Now, some will say, you know, preaching like this, some will say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute here. Are we not in the day of grace? Aren't we under grace? Isn't this Old Testament? Isn't this just, isn't this law? That you're preaching? Isn't this legalism? Are you trying to bring me into bondage? Does not the scripture says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set me free and not be not entangled again with yoke of bondage? What are you teaching? What are you saying? Well, let's first of all get a hold of this. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That means those things in the Old Testament. That we through patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So, what is this grace? Let's, so let's, 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 let's get a balance and an accuracy where grace is concerned. Amen? Three quick clear thoughts on grace. One, God's riches at Christ's expense. What does that mean? It means that all things are yours. When God gave you Jesus, he freely gave you all things. It means, it means then that he's given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. It means that the unsearchable riches of Christ, they are yours. All right. So that is what the riches of God at Christ's expense because of the sacrifice. That's the reality. All things are yours. And then from that perspective, grace is, and here is a little here is one angle of grace. It is unmerited favor because you couldn't earn any of that. Remember when the angel spoke to Mary, who was a virgin, espoused to Joseph, and the angel said in Luke 1 verse 28, something to the extent that, um, that, you, that God has chosen you and you are highly favored, so you're going to give birth to the Messiah. It was not that she was, she was a virgin, Therefore, this is, what, this, this is the reason why she was going to have this honor. No, no, no. There were many other versions in the land that, uh, at that time. At that time, everybody was a virgin. <laughs> All right? A spouse to be married. But it wasn't because of that. It was the unmerited favor of God. That's the first element of grace. All right? But then the second element of grace is the fact that God gives us the strength, the ability, the enablement to live for him, to do what the word of God says. The fact is that God is, we, we, are, we, we, are, we are weak and frail and, 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 and within ourselves, but God says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I will even fill you with my spirit so that you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you, that empowers you. Paul says, I, Paul says I am what I, let me read it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just to capture this element of the enablement of God, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, he says, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than them all. 
Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So there is that enabling power that is the second element of grace. But then here is, and that's fine, those unmerited favor, God enabling us, that is grace. But there's a third element that is exceedingly important that has been lost to a a great degree to the body of Christ. And it is this. It is, it is this, uh, matter of fact, you know what, let me circle along the wagon first. (laughs) Just so that you capture it. The scripture says in John chapter 1 verse 14 that the word was made what? Flesh. That's humanity. The word was made flesh and we beheld his glory full of what? Grace and truth. And then it will go on to say of his fullness we have received grace for grace. What's going on here? Jesus took upon himself flesh That's humanity and God was living on the inside of him. When you and I get born again, here is the reality. Divinity is living on the inside of your humanity. And if we would cooperate and yield and walk in the fear of the Lord, then that divinity will be working through your humanity. Which means God will now become your sufficiency. God will now become whatever is needed and is always greater than whatever you're dealing with because he is greater. So for that reason, this is why when Paul was in the situation in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and he was crying out to God regarding that Paul torn in the flesh and I'm not going to the fault torn in the flesh. And God answered him. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. And God says, my grace is, this is God speaking now. If God is going to tell you what something is and you really want to know, you better listen. So God says, my grace is, and listen to what he said, sufficiency for you. My grace is sufficient for thee. Because, and Paul, in other words, God says, I am I am whatever you need. I am that. And I am your sufficiency in any situation. In other words, then my divinity working through your humanity is what makes you, is what the the, the greater one is he that is in you than he that is in the world or whatever you're dealing with. That is what, that's the grace. It is his humanity working through you. It says in Philippians 2 verse 13, Thou that the God, the Holy Ghost, works in you, both to will and to do. This, this, so that's why it will say in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5, that we are not sufficient of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of what? God. His divinity in your humanity. That is why if believers are going to rise and begin to function in a higher dimension, they must awake to righteousness. They must awake to the reality that God is in them, their oneness with God in Christ. And as they awake to that reality that as Jesus is, so am I in this world. Because the old man was crucified and it's no longer I that live, but it is Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live is the life of Christ. I live it by the faith of the Son of God. Divinity working through your humanity. Not just divinity sitting 
either sitting in your humanity. No, it will not come alive without faith. It will not come alive without the fear of the Lord. That's why it will say, work out your salvation with what? With fear and what? Trembling. <laughs> no, they're talking about the awe of God. Are you with me? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the Holy Ghost is at work within you, both to will and to do for your good pleasure. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. So Paul, recognizing that, Paul says, oh really? His grace is the sufficiency. His grace. No wonder the scriptures say, God, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, God will cause all grace, all grace to abound towards you. Well, what happened when all grace abound towards you? So that you might have all sufficiency and abound to every good work. So there is no situation that you and I can ever face that is bigger than the God on the inside of you who wants to work through you if you would let him. And the fear of the Lord will authorize him to do so. That's why we must capture the fear of the Lord. So Paul said, man, I get it. I get it. And Paul said this. Listen to the, listen to the rest of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul says, I've come, I, I got it. I got it. He says, when I'm weak, then am I strong. I will rather glory in my weakness that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Are you with me? That's grace. It's not just unmerited favor. It is not just the, um, the provision of God. It is God himself being the provision and working through you. So this grace, this oneness, is why it would say it requires the fear of the Lord. So Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 says, Seeing you have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and seeing the reality of the majesty of God that is in you, let us have grace that you might serve God with reverence and with godly fear. Why? Because of this kingdom that is within you and because of the majesty of God. That's why we serve him with reverence and godly fear. That's why you need grace. And not just grace, but especially in that context, the grace of the fear of the Lord. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So, I'm still talking about this point. The point is, this is not legalism. This is not legalism. We are under grace. But listen to this. The grace of God, the very grace of God, teaches us the lordship of Jesus Christ. The very grace of God teaches us that we are to be underneath the government of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is. Titus 2 verse 11 and 12 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation, wholeness, deliverance, healing, and all of that stuff, the grace of God that bringeth salvation teaches. Grace is a teacher. Well, it should be, because Jesus is grace. But anyway, the grace that bringeth salvation teaches us, teaches us what? To live soberly and godly right here and right now. Right here in this day of grace. The grace of God teaches us to, think, to live soberly and righteously. What does that mean? The grace of God teaches us 
to function in the fear of the Lord. Because that's the fear of the Lord. Jesus taught and practiced the fear of the Lord. Did he not? The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up praise and supplication with vehement and cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, he was heard because he feared God, because of his godly fear. Jesus taught the fear of the Lord and Jesus' grace. And Jesus functioned and practiced the fear of the Lord. Now we have one other session in this teaching that is to cause us to become established in the fear of the Lord. When we get there, which is next week, Lord willing, what will happen and as we look at Jesus, you will see Jesus function in the fear of the Lord perfectly. You see, the fear of the Lord is absolute obedience to God. Jesus was obedient even unto death. The fear of the Lord is trust in God. Jesus says, man, look, you, I laid on this body. I'm going to take it up again. Amen? I mean, no way am I staying in hell. I'm going to come out of there. I might be made sin, but I'm coming out of there. I'm going to get born again. <laughs> man, that's some trust. It takes a lot of trust to be made sin, sickness, disease, and to go to hell and believe that you're going to come up back. <laughs> Are you with? That's trust. My father will not leave my soul in Sheol. Man, that's trust. <laughs> Jesus trusted God. The fear of the Lord is trusting God. Jesus was obedient unto death. Jesus walked in love. Jesus laid down his life. Every element of the fear, Jesus was worshipful towards the father. Jesus, and, and I'm changing the words. He said, Father, I give you thanks. Because you've hidden this from the wise and the prudent. But you've revealed it unto babes. It's that Jesus saying, Father, I worship you. You are so magnificent. You are so brilliant. Look what you've done. Oh, Jesus walked in it all. So Jesus taught the fear of the Lord. He functioned in the fear of the Lord. And he certainly functioned in purity. He certainly had a wholehearted surrender to the will of God, did he not? Now the Holy Spirit, he taught the fear of the Lord. And I'm making this point because I want to say this. I want to knock it out completely that somehow you living in grace means that you don't have to, that these things are irrelevant. That's absolutely not true. Every promise of God has conditions and principles that apply. That is why we study what are the keys of the kingdom of God. Because we need to know what the principles are. Promises without the application of the, premise, the principles, you will get zero. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit taught the fear of the Lord. He wrote the Bible, wouldn't you say? Scripture was given by the inspiration of God. He wrote the Bible, and the Bible is full of the fear of the Lord. Peter, Peter taught the fear of the Lord. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Conduct yourself through the time here, sojourning here in this earth, conducted in the fear of the Lord. Peter taught that. Paul taught that. We read already Philippians 2 when he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul also said in Hebrews 4 verse 1 and 2, listen to it. Paul said, look, having therefore these promises, he says, given that we've got a promise to enter into God's rest, there was a rest that remains for the children of God. 
where God himself is their Sabbath. Where there's a rest, there's a place, the finished work of Christ that is there for you to enter into. So he says there is a rest that remains for the children of God, but be careful. Let us have fear. Lest a promise being left to you, you come short of it. What do you mean let him have fear? Have the fear of the Lord. And then he will go on to say in verse 2, that the promise and the word and the gospel was preached to them, but it did not benefit them. It did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. And you see, the fear of the Lord, faith comes out of the fear of the Lord. Faith, trusting God, having the capacity to believe and obey, no matter what it looks like, no matter what the circumstances are, that flows out of the revelation of his majesty it is impossible for him to lie. That's where faith comes from. You look at Abraham, and you'll see that. Abraham, a man that feared God. So what am I saying? Peter taught the fear of the Lord. Paul taught the fear of the Lord. James taught the fear of the Lord. Paul, James said in James 4, verse 4, it says, friend, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That's the fear of the Lord. Now, if I were to go and I start talk, talk about dressing with modesty, man, I'm a sure song like I'm dabbling, but I'm not going to go there. I'll let James talk about that another time. Amen? But James talked about the fear of the Lord. Jude, John talked about the fear of the Lord. John said in John chapter, chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, it says... Um, 1 John 2.15, he says something to the extent that, oh, if any man love the world, then the love of God is not in him. Because in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And that is not the love of God. So he said then that, but in order to, but I, I'm butchering this, so let me clean it up. <laughs> First John chapter 2, reading from verse 15, verbatim, New King James. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of God is not ruling him. And by the way, the love of God and the fear of the Lord are, are, are so connected. In one place it will say, I has not seen, oh, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And, and, and there we will find another scripture that was being quoted that says, what God has prepared for them that fear him and in another place for them that wait on him in other words the fear of the Lord is loving God the fear of the Lord is waiting on God are you with me so anyway he says if any man love the world then the love of the father is not in him for all the love of the father is not dominating him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life is, uh, is not of the father but is of the world and the world is going to pass away and the and the last thereof, but he that does, the will of God abides forever. I heard a young lady say this, and, I, and it really uh, it, it, it spoke to me. She was saying that, you know, I guess, you know, looking at the world and stuff like that, fashion and stuff. So she was probably, you know, dressing like, you know, so that other guys can whistle at her and all of this stuff and et cetera, et cetera. And God spoke to her because she, was, she had a good relationship with God. And God told her, you know, I don't like how, you, how you're dressing. It's not okay. And she wasn't married at the time. And God said to her, look, you need to dress for me. 
you need to dress for, obviously if you're married, for your husband. And he said for you to dress in that way where you're not modest and you're showing this and you're getting lustful eyes being drawn to you and so on. He says that is not okay. That's the way of the world. Now when she captured that, it changed her thinking. Was it legalism? No. But what she decided is, you know what? This, that way is the way of the world. And I need to, whatever I do, I need to maintain a conscience Bored of offense before God and before men. And for that reason, she made that adjustment. What the point I'm making here is this. The point I'm making is, even in that arena, what is happening here? This is the fear of the Lord. It will talk about the fact that we are to dwell in the fear of the Lord all the day long. All right. Anyway, James talked about it. John talked about it. Jude said something in Jude verse 4. You can check it out. He said they turn the grace of God into lewdness by denying the lordship of Jesus Christ. According to Jude, if you teach grace without the fear of the Lord, you are denying Jesus' lordship. I didn't write that. Jude did. One chapter. You only write one chapter. Are you with me? Point taken, the point is this. Thank God for grace. But we walk in grace. It is a faith that it might be by grace. We walk in grace. How? By the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord will also sponsor an intimate relationship with God. I mean, think about it. Right? You may have a friend, or maybe it might not be quite a friend, but you may have an associate. Someone that visits you, hang out with you and everything else. How close would you allow them to be with you, to you? How close would you be with them and reveal your secrets and, and, and trust them and everything else? If they don't respect you, if they talk bad about you, if they talk behind your back, if every time you say something, they say, I don't believe it. Right? If you, I mean, I, I in other words, then, for you to have an intimate relationship with them, they're going to have to behave and carry themselves a certain way. So listen to Psalms 25 and, um, and verse 12. Okay. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. That verse 14, the secret of the Lord, out of translation will say intimate fellowship with God is reserved for those that fear him. Again, you're born again, the spirit of God lives inside of you, yes, but that doesn't mean you're going to have intimate fellowship with God. Who is going to ascend into the high, into that place with God? He that is of a clean heart. He that trembleth at his word. He that is walking in the fear of the Lord. So intimate fellowship with God is reserved for them that fear him. Now there's a few rich verses in here. Let me just it, touch them a little tiny bit. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. He himself shall dwell in prosperity. In other words then, there is prosperity to the one that will fear the Lord. How could that be? Well, Psalms 112 verse 3 says, regarding the man that is fear the Lord, wealth and riches will be in his house. If we go look at Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13, 
for the sake of time, if you go, you will see God, the, the fear of the Lord says, I travel in the pathways of righteousness to cause those, those who love me to inherit wealth. You can't get wealth based on how many hours a day you work. The only way you find, you, you check anyone that is wealthy, it cannot be based on the hours you work a day. But I'll tell you, one way of getting hold of it is inheritance. Inheritance. Inheritance, you know, praise the Lord. Anyway, hallelujah. It says here, um, where are we at here? So, and, and it goes on to say, all right, Proverbs 8 verse 13. The secret, he himself shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. His descendants shall inherit the earth. He's in, in other words, there is, there is stuff to do with your, with your inheritance, your children, and your children after you. I'm running out of time, so I'm kind of, so, and I need to, so I have to make some quick moves here, <laughs> if you don't mind. Because I'm running out of time, and I can't get, finish all that I desire to. Nevertheless, the secret of the Lord is with those that fear him. The secret of the Lord the secret of the Lord. Now you see, God has secrets outside of intimacy. There are things that God wants to reveal. But he doesn't cast his pearls before swine. He will reveal it, which is, when he reveals stuff, is his wisdom. But guess what? The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. Daniel. Daniel, God revealed to Daniel, a man's dream, the king's dream. Why? Because of the way Daniel lived. Daniel was operating in that fear of the Lord, and God revealed stuff to him. Amen? Joseph, same thing. God revealed to Joseph certain things, and, and to interpret dreams. That was, it was not just a gift of interpretation. It was a gift it was a gift that was there because of the fear of the Lord. Because of them, the way they lived, living in purity. Daniel was the one that said, you know what? I will not contaminate myself by eating the, 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 the king's um, fancy food. I'm just going to have fruits and vegetables. That was an element of purity and, self, and, and so on. All right. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I have to skip some stuff here. So allow me. Okay. Okay, let me just say this. Let me make this shift. The fear of the Lord is the law of increase. Psalms 115, verse 13 and 14. What did it say? God says, I will bless and power to prosper them that fear me. And I will increase them more and more. Who will he increase? Them that fear him. So the fear of the Lord is the law of increase. Psalms 85 verse 9 says, um, Salvation is near to them that fear him. What salvation? Soteria. What salvation? Healing, deliverance, prosperity, well-being, divine protection is near to them that fear him. Um, Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 19 says, Oh, how great is your goodness. Which you have laid up for who? For who? For them that fear you. Which you have prepared for those that trust you. The fear of the Lord, you trust God. 
in the presence of the sons of men. You will hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. And you shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. The fear of the Lord, opening up the door for the goodness of God with his increase, divine protection, God hiding you, delivering you from the tongues and the wicked plots and schemes of other people. In another place it will say that when, that when a man ways please the Lord, he will cause even his enemies to be at peace with him. There is deliverance where your enemies are concerned because of functioning in the fear of the Lord. Say increase. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord will sponsor that intimacy with God. And it was and 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 and, and, and your relationship with and your relationship. It will even affect your descendants. Now that part of, uh, but you can check this out if you're studious. Look at Psalms 128, verse 1 to 6. That has to do with, with family, that has to do with marriage and all of that, all on the account of favoring the Lord. But go check it out. The scripture, the issue of the fear of the Lord is to affect everything, everything about your life. It says, submit yourself one to another in the fear of the Lord. Ephesians 5.21. And it was not just talking about marriage. It was talking period. It even says if you got a boss, the boss that you work for, Ephesians 6.5. Be obedient to those that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as unto Christ. So it affects relationships. God says, it's this person I'm going to look. God says, you know, where is the place that you, you built for me? Where am I going to hang out? Where am I going to be comfortable? Where am I going to be at rest? To the one that is of a broken, of a contrite heart and tremble it at my word. That's the fear of the Lord. Intimate fellowship belongs to him. But you see, in the fear of the Lord, there is this element of trusting God. But of course, when you can see his excellence, Psalms 34 verse 8 and 9 says, Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Fear the Lord, ye saints. To fear God is to trust God. So there is this trust element of the fear of the Lord that is connected to that intimacy. The man that fears the Lord will also trust God. Now, my question is, can God trust you? There's a two side to this. You trusting God, but God trusting you. Can God trust you? Can God trust you with secrets? Can God trust you with somebody else's secrets? God knows stuff, you know. You know, it's bothersome when somebody's going to come and try to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and expose someone. You got to wonder whether that's God or not. Because God will trust you. Can God trust you? With, with, with somebody having an issue that might not be very pleasant, are you going to go tattle about it? Or, you go, or can God trust you and give you a prayer responsibility? Can God trust you to pray about it? Can God trust you with some assignment? Can God trust you that you're going to be obedient? The fear of the Lord will produce not only your trust of God, but it will bring you into a place where God can trust you. Proverbs 22 verse 11 says, He who has purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. In other words then, Jesus said, look, I call you friend because what? I show you. Whatever, whatever is revealed to me, I'm showing it to you. There is a revealing that takes place 
When you're operating in that realm of friendship, it has to do with that relationship and that intimacy. And it is only possible through the fear of the Lord. Moses saw God face to face, and Moses certainly feared the Lord. Abraham was called a friend of God. Are you a friend of God? The fear of the Lord will put you in. God doesn't call everybody his friend. Jesus doesn't allow everyone to come up to the mountain of transfiguration. Thomas didn't make it up there. Judas didn't make it up there. Are you with me? You're not going to allow, and God will not allow everybody to come close to him and be his friend where he will reveal secrets. No, no, not without the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord will provoke trust. The fear of the Lord will provoke this intimacy. The fear of the Lord will, produce, will bring you into this intimacy. The fear of the Lord will, 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 give you, will, will produce the love of God and the grace and all of these other things. All right. So, it is the law of increase. Malachi 2 verse 5, God makes it a very simple deal. He said, look here. My part of this covenant is to provide you with peace, which is wholeness, preservation, prosperity, and life, which is the very life of God. And he says, your part is to fear me. Amen? Acts 9.31, the walk in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Ghost, boom, multiplication. It's increase. Increase in every area. Increase in wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Increase in knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Increase of understanding. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Increase financially. Increase in resources. Proverbs 22 verse 4 says, um, that through the fear of the Lord, through humility in the fear of the Lord is honor and riches and life. Health. It says in Proverbs 3 verse 7 and 8, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil, and it will be health to your flesh. Now, I don't have time to dissect that just to show you how you can walk in health. Health based on walking in the fear of the Lord. Long life. How do you like long life? Proverbs chapter 9 verse 11 says, By me, your days will be multiplied. That means you're going to get much more done in 24 hours. Everybody else has 24 hours, but you're going to get 36. Your days will be multiplied. And the years of your life added. That means what? Long life. And another verse that speaks about being satisfied. Answered prayer. How would you like answered prayer? Does answered prayer sound like increase? Psalms 145 verse 19 says that he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. That's desire. That is not even need. That's desire. Do you know there's a difference between need and desire? Where there's a need, you need deliverance financially. But when you open to the realm of desire, man, I don't have to have this, but Lord, you know, I really would like that. <laughs> All right, the fear of the Lord, that's desire. And then there's another level which has to do with God demonstrating, where God says, get out of the way. Just move aside. Let me show them what I can do. Let me demonstrate my power. Let me demonstrate how I could prosper a man and cause you to ride in the high places of the earth. So there is deliverance financially, there is desire, and then there is demonstration, and I think I left one of them out. But anyway, say answered prayer. Hallelujah. Where your enemies are concerned, God says when your ways please me, I'm going to deliver you and make your enemies to be at peace with you. Anybody have any enemies? Sickness is an enemy, 
And sometimes, I know we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but the devil will use people. Don't fool yourself. And you sometimes need to be delivered from them. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 39. The Lord your God, you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. Say, I want to fear the Lord. So, with what I have laid out, the choice is yours. As I said, the scripture says, choose blessing or choose curse. But you should choose blessing. Choose life or choose death. You should choose life. Choose the fear of the Lord or choose the fear of man. Trusting man or trusting God. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm persuaded. What do you choose? Do you choose the fear of the Lord? And it is a choice. It is a choice. You don't have to choose it, but you can choose it. And it is highly recommended that you do. <laughs> Amen? Because the other side of that is not good. Go read Proverbs chapter 1, verse 29, the verses that come before it for the ones that don't choose the fear of the Lord. Am I trying to scare you? Man, if I read some of it, it should scare you. But the blessings of the Lord is good. The fear of the Lord opens up the doors to the blessing of the Lord. So again, the question is, what do you choose? Do you choose the fear of the Lord? Now, if you're going to choose the fear of the Lord, then I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Our objective today was, number one, to understand the fear of the Lord. I believe we've got a better understanding. Our objective today was also to recognize that the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the law of increase. And what that increase looks like in every area. I believe we've done some of that. But then the third element was, was what? Was to, for you with your understanding and spiritual intelligence, choose the fear of the Lord. And then next week, we're going to talk about how to become established and anchored in the fear of the Lord. But right now, if you choose the fear of the Lord, I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. The scripture says, so just, you just lift up your hand or tell God right now. Not me. You tell God, Lord, I choose the fear of the Lord. Just tell him, I want the fear of the Lord. I want the fear of the Lord. The scripture speaks about the spirit of the fear of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 11. God, I want that. Teach me the fear of the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you see every heart. You know the ones that are saying yes. You know the ones that have opened up their heart and are saying to you, I want the fear of the Lord. I choose the fear of the Lord. And so for that one, Father, I'm asking. I'm asking that you would give unto them the grace of the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I'm asking, Lord, that as they are making this choice, that they would be positioned. Positioned so that you would be able to teach them the fear of the Lord. So that they might walk in truth. There may be some double-mindedness within them, but I'm asking by the power of the Holy Spirit, unite their heart, their soul, and their spirit chamber of their heart. Unite it. Let it come in agreement. Unite their heart to fear your name. And Father, as even as that is done, even as you are doing that, Father, may there become such an awakening within them that they would recognize that the fear of the Lord is your treasure and that they would make the fear of the Lord their treasure. For as they do, the realm of the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God and understanding and supernatural divine strength infusion of your life will become available to them. 
So that no matter what may happen in the days to come, with life and with those wronged about them, that wisdom and knowledge that comes by the fear of the Lord will be the stability and the strength of their times. So Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for that grace, that grace coming upon them of the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Because they've said, yes, I choose the fear of the Lord. And I'm praying, oh Father, in the name of Jesus, that it would even go further and that the fear of the Lord would be their treasure. There will be a fervency that is birthed on the inside of them that I've got to have this and I want to excel in this arena. So grant it, Father, in the name of Jesus. Because I know that according to your word, what I'm asking, what they are asking is according to your will. And we know that whatever we ask according to your will, we can be confident that you hear us and we can be confident that we have the petitions that we desire of you. So in the name of Jesus, I proclaim and I declare and I decree that the spirit of the Father Lord is released in Jesus' name into their being. Thank you, Father, for doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, thank you, Lord. Bless your people. Bless your people. Bless your people. Just like you said, you will bless them that fear the Lord. And you will increase them more and more. Let it be so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. See you next week. And get a hold of part three. Wherein, how are you? Can you be established, anchored, rooted in the fear of the Lord? We're going to pick that up last next week. And I believe by God's grace, we'll also finish it next week.